0: Okay, Top Tribe, this week's winner of the 100 bucks is Rhett Gillins. He's in the restaurant industry, and he feels stuck. He wants to start his own software business. So congratulations, Rhett, for your guys' chance to win 100 bucks every Monday morning. Simply subscribe to the podcast on iTunes now in order to enter, and then text the word Nathan to 33444 to prove that you subscribed. Coming up tomorrow morning, Top Tribe, you're going to hear from Molly Marie. She's a creative artist who knows how to make money, over a million bucks per year. See how she does it. Okay, Top Tribe, good morning. Our guest today is Robert Moore. He's the co-founder and CEO of RJ Metrics, a SaaS business intelligence company with the mission of inspiring and empowering data-driven people. Moore's writing has appeared in the New York Times, TechCrunch, and other publications. He's also an improv comedy performer at the Philly Improv Theater. All right, Robert, are you ready to take us to the top? Ready to rock, Nathan. Let's do this. Okay, so first things first, you've got RJ Metrics right now. It's growing fast, You had something beforehand going on. What was that? Oh, yeah. So before I started, RJ, uh, I was a college student
1: studying computer science and statistics. And this was in the era when online poker was about the biggest thing in the world. Uh, Chris Moneymaker had won the World Series of Poker. Uh, The movie Rounders was really hot. Um, and the FTC hadn't quite caught up to the legal issues surrounding online gambling. So it was kind of the wild west online and a lot of people were playing online poker. Uh, so I uh, kind of took advantage of that, uh, that phenomenon by building some software that helped people identify their odds
0: of winning poker hands when they were playing online and selling that over the internet and so how did you i mean was it literally like a motley fool kind of newsletter about here so you should be watching and and looking i mean walk us through how it actually worked
1: yeah so it was actually a a interactive piece of software um and it would basically allow you to input information about what cards you had been dealt how many other people were at the table Um, what cards showed up in the community cards uh, on the flop and the turn in the river. And along the way, it would basically give you statistics like you would see on ESPN about your probability of winning or uh, your probability of catching that flush draw that you're going up after. Um, And a lot of people uh, at my college who were really big into poker were spending hours and hours trying to memorize these probability tables and do a lot of this math themselves in their heads. And this was kind of a a, a real-time interactive shortcut for people who wanted to have kind of a, kind of a cheat guide on the probability and statistics of the game at their fingertips while they were playing. It's
0: kind of like loan officers and they're doing it like at banks, they have like a little sheet they always pull out with like a big chart. And it's like, if this person is doing this much income, we can loan them this much at this rate. And here's the odds it's going to default or not default and all that, except it's a virtual version that's for poker.
1: Absolutely. And there are literally millions and millions of potential outcomes for any given hand. So, uh, you know, no, uh, no printed sheet could ever be big enough to, to handle all that data. So it had to be done as software. And so then how did you make money doing that? So, uh, initially my plan was to make money by using it to play poker and winning a bunch of money at the poker table. Uh, and I did use it and and it was super helpful, but what I found was that there was very real market pool for this item at at this moment in time. So I, uh, a lot of my friends found out that I had built this thing. They all of a sudden also wanted to be using it. I gave it away for free to a bunch of people, you know, got a bunch of feedback iterated. What year was this, Robert? This is, uh, in the 2004 to 2006 range. Okay. So in, in this moment in time, uh, there's also, this was right around when Google AdWords started opening the platform up to pretty much anybody who might want to sign up instead of just large advertisers. So there was this moment in time where there were a lot of keywords out there that you could buy for 10 cents a click. And, uh, Things like how to win at poker, odds of poker, uh, you know how to win at Poker Stars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These were relatively high volume search terms uh, for people that were very specifically looking uh, to solve the problem that my software product solved, and I could buy ads under these keywords for ten cents a click. And then when they landed on my landing page, it was kind of a, a you know one landing page, some screenshots of the software. Thirty bucks, and you can own this thing and download it and run it on your own computer. Uh, and you know, it was really pretty much just a, a, a means of me getting people onto the website was through online advertising. So, be, um, so
0: between two thousand four and two thousand six, how much did you make personally from the from the tool?
1: Yeah, it was it was almost a hundred grand. Um, okay. It was a it was a pretty steady flow of you know. I'd go to bed at night and I wake up in the morning and there'd be another half dozen or so of these things that that had sold online. Um, and and it was,
0: was it a membership or was it a one time payment? One-time payment, perpetual software license. Of how much? Uh, 30 bucks. 30 bucks. You would never, I imagine, with RJ Metrics, sell a one-time payment <laughs> plan where I get it for life, correct?
1: Yeah, that is, that is accurate. We are software <laughs> as a service all the way here.
0: So we, a few questions real quick. First off, we had a guy named Scott Hansberry on an episode 206 who launched something called YouStake, which seems to be doing well. They're doing about 40K a month right now. Do you know those guys? i haven't bumped into them No. okay interesting it sounds it sounds like they're doing something related like what you were doing but not odds it's it, and it's legal what they're doing but i it, it's not gambling but somehow you can actually bet on poker players and make money if the poker players win oh cool uh, it's like Fanduel or fantasy football for poker so that's episode 206 guys if you want to go check out scott cool. robert for you let's transition into rj Metrics. so yeah. wh- why'd you stop the poker thing and how'd you start rj
1: yeah, so uh, one of the big, biggest reasons that the poker thing kind of went away was that uh, the the landscape changed in a really big way when the FTC started uh, really making it difficult for people in the United States to put money online and, and gamble online in poker rooms. And it's actually kind of swung back now because a lot of the, the – online poker has become regulated and actually become legal and it's operated by real casinos with real licenses. So it's legit and fun again, but there was a window, um, I think this started happening in kind of the 06, 07 timeframe and lasted for about five years where it was really hard to put real money online and and play poker uh, on the internet. So um, for us, that translated to that search volume going down and it becoming uh, more difficult to find that market pool. Also, it got more competitive. I mean, my product was uh, probably the first ever to market that was a software product designed to do this. By the time 2006 rolled around and the market started drying up, there were probably a dozen products out there uh, that had caught up, and there were entire real companies with real software teams, not just me in my dorm room. Mm. Um, so. Over time, we just lost our market dominance, uh, uh, and we—I say our, i lost my market dominance. Uh, it was a one-man show, and uh, you know, and the industry kind of dried up. So I found myself when I was graduating college in a spot where I loved entrepreneurship. I knew through that experience that I wanted to start software companies as my career, but I didn't have a team. I didn't have an idea, and um, you know, outside of helping subsidize, uh, tuition, uh, and having a little nest egg. I didn't really have the capital required to start a a real company. How much, what, what nest egg did you have back then? I mean, it was, I had zero dollars, uh, from anything other than the poker software. So, you know, uh, you know, you got that hundred grand that came in and it kind of had dwindled down probably to low tens
0: of thousands of dollars by the time I graduated. Okay. Got it. And you graduated in what year? 2006. Okay. And then what after that?
1: So, uh, I got this opportunity, uh, which I, still to this day, thank my lucky stars for, which is I got to go and work at a venture capital firm called Insight Venture Partners. Um, Insight's a firm in New York City that invests in software and technology businesses. And the job was basically to help them identify companies that they might want to invest in and then do deep dive research on those companies to make sure that everything that uh, kind of on the surface looks good is actually legitimately good and and valuable and and worth this firm putting its money to work. Um, Really cool job because I got to talk to uh, you know, on a good week, I could talk to a hundred CEOs in a week, uh, and get the rundown on their business, understand where it came from, what their plans are from a financing perspective. Are you just cold
0: emailing them and yeah, it for was, response?
1: I, honestly, it was a sales job, uh, but I was selling money in kind of, kind of a weird way. So how so, did you, how
0: did you do it? Did you just go on LinkedIn and like, where did you find these groups of people to then find their email and cold outreach to?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of the art of sales. Um, it's uh, there were a number of different methods. You could, you could approach it through LinkedIn. You could approach it by uh, going through lists of, uh, you know, you find things in databases like Crunchbase, which is a database of people that have been funded by venture capitalists. Um, you could take uh a list of attendees from a conference um one of the tactics that always worked really well is actually looking at job sites like if you look in cities that are not traditional tech cities and just see who's hiring software engineers it's usually a really good giveaway of who's doing well and well capitalized and uh, might fit the profile of a good investment um so, so we, how it, many how cool. many people
0: would you have to reach out to in one week to get 100 of them actually in a conversation
1: Oh, uh, the number of touches uh, was in the, it was probably in the 100 to 200 range. Um, uh, talking to 100 people a good a week would be a amazing week. Usually it was kind of one to 200 touches, uh, which means you're reaching out, you're either getting them on the phone or you're leaving a voicemail or you're sending an email. Um, you know, these calls tend to take an hour or so a piece. So even if you were back to back, you would kind of max out at, at, at 40,
0: 50, depending on your hours. Got it, okay, cool. And so how many years did you work there? I was there for two years. Okay, so t- two thousand eight. Did you did you lead any rounds? Uh, yeah, I was involved in in
1: several deals there. Um, probably the most fun one for me was a, a company called Football Fanatics, uh, which ended up uh, rebranding as Fanatics and being acquired by a company called GSI Commerce, which then got acquired by eBay, which then spun out into uh, an organization. Uh, called Kinetic, uh, which is now uh, an independent operating
0: company that's totally, uh, totally rocketed. So and h- how much did it, how much did Insight put into that round, and and what was the return?
1: Uh, so the return is not disclosed, but it was an awesome return, uh, a very, very healthy venture return, um, and it was. Uh, I'm not sure what is public and not public, but I can tell you that Insight tends to write checks that are in kind of the, the healthy
0: tens of millions of dollars range. Okay, got it. So here's a question for you. Um, I don't know if that ended well or not, but you have a relationship there. Anyone who's logical would assume, oh, I'm sure Insight Venture Partners were the first people to invest in RJ Metrics, but they haven't to, to what I can tell. Is that true?
1: Yeah, so uh, the relationship is great there. Um, I love everybody who's there, and I would I would love to uh, have them be investors. There's an Come important on, Robert, tell us what's going on. <laughs> I got I
0: got no gossip. I got no um uh, very very good blood over there. It's Wouldn't a, they a be killing team? you right now if you're growing like crazy and you didn't <laughs> let them in the business? Come on, something's going on. Well,
1: what's going on is that you got to understand a firm like Insight has billions and billions of dollars of capital under management. So the typical check that Insight writes, you know, you can go and look at the headlines for the deals they do. These days, it's a $50 million check, $100 million check, you know, multi-hundred million dollar leverage buyouts. This is not a venture capital firm that invests in startups uh, or companies that have not made it to a very mature growth equity financing stage. So usually Insight's not getting involved until a company has tens of millions of dollars of revenue, has dozens, if not hundreds of employees um, and we are growing really fast and we have, uh, you know, raised a lot of outside capital, but if you add up all the dollars that we raised in the entire history of RJ metrics, it would still
0: be too small of a check. Which is, which is how money. much uh,
1: about $22 million. We raised okay. in
0: total. Okay. And the, so, so the series uh, B was the series B was 16 and a half. It looks like, right? Yep. That's right. Okay. And that was in September, 2014. That is correct. So about a year and a half, kind of a year and a half ago ish. Yep, exactly. So, so you're raising right now. That's why you came on the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, you're you're good at math. You're you're, uh, you're yeah. in about the right time frame. Where if I was an analyst at Inside Venture Partners, you'd be on my call list.
1: Yeah, and believe me, uh, being on the other side of the table, it's hilarious to me how many of these people are out there in that exact seat, and I, I empathize them with them with them big time. But it's uh, which seat? several emails a week, yeah. Which seat? Like inside uh, venture partners? The seat of being, a, uh, being an analyst at a private equity yeah. or venture capital firm <laughs> who is tasked with calling 100 CEOs a week. Now that I'm one of those CEOs, I realize how how many of those people are out there.
0: We got hit. We got So at Heyo, my last company, which we just sold, I would get hit maybe once every week with somebody like that reaching. And it was horrible because like I didn't really want to raise much capital. So I would just have fun with them. I dig for information. I turn around. I must annoyed the hell out of them.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a tough racket uh, being on <laughs> being on the sell side of money. Yeah, uh,
0: strangely enough. So, so help us understand. We only got a minute or two left before we wrap up. But help me understand, RJ Metrics, in terms of size, you guys raised a sixteen and a half million Series B. Typically, people are selling, I imagine, between ten and twenty percent of the business at that range. Um, so, is it fair to say? I mean, give us a sense of size. If you want to talk like valuation or revenue or customer numbers or users or trials, whatever you want.
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, we've got uh, just under 400 customers um, and it's a software as a service sale. So our prices, um, you know, they tend to be uh, you know, on an annual basis, kind of in the tens of thousands of dollars range, um, and you know, we've been growing pretty, uh, pretty consistently um, at the about doubling every year pace, and we've got about 100 employees now. Um, so it's a, uh, it's, it's been a pretty exciting ride, uh, and you know, no shortage of bumps along the way, um, mm. but a lot of really fun stuff too, and it's, uh, it's been
0: educational above all else. And so, what are you guys at in terms of average revenue per user per year per month, whichever you measure?
1: Sure. Um, so we're in a pretty healthy, like mid-market SaaS uh, band. So we don't disclose the specific number, but... Uh, well, you know, what's, if, a you, what's a range? What's a range, Robert? We're talking tens of thousands of dollars per client per year. Okay, per year. Um, okay. And it kind of, you know, the, the band, depending on the stage of company and how many of our tools they end up using, can be anywhere from uh, 10 grand a year to 100 grand a year per customer.
0: Okay, so if you've got 400 cu- paying customers and a minimum ARPU of a grand a month, you're making at a minimum 400 grand per month. Is that fair to say?
1: Uh, yes, that would be a very low bound on reality. Well, that's yeah. what you
0: gave me, right? So that's what I'm using, right? So if, if we have you know Tim Draper or VC's listening to this episode going right now, they're thinking, "Wow, RJ is actually pretty small." But if you want to up the boundary on the lower end, we can do that.
1: I will uh, let theater of the mind uh, <laughs> keep me from violating my fiduciary <laughs> responsibilities. But All thanks right, for very asking.
0: good. So help us um, help us understand in terms of user acquisition. When you're getting these new customers, do you leverage an inside sales team or is it no touch? What's the deal?
1: Yeah, so it's it's about a 50/50 split between inbound and outbound. So, uh, historically, uh You know, in the early days of the business, before we could afford to hire a sales team, every single lead was an inbound lead. It was all people raising their hands, coming in through our content marketing. We invest a lot in thought leadership content. So white papers, webinars, microsites, uh, our our blog is super active, all that good stuff. Um, And then recently, in the last 18 months or so, since the Series B, we've spun up a uh, proactive outbound sales team um, that has been tasked with going out proactively to the market and reaching out to folks who seem like they might be at a moment in their company's history when a uh, product that Argumentrix offers might be a good fit. Um, and we've been able to grow that team up. Uh, now we've got about uh, half a dozen of these ADRs, account development reps, which some companies call SDRs or BDRs, yep. who yep. they're paired up with our account executive team uh, and basically helping fill their funnel by doing uh, company sourcing, uh, kind of warming up the leads and, and appointment setting for the So AAs. Robert,
0: what is your all-in customer acquisition cost, including the human time?
1: Yeah, uh on a on a per customer basis um so it would basically be between 1 and 2 Is our ARR over CAC ratio, which is that kind of SAS magic number. So, you know, if our our bounds of what we get out of a customer is 10 to 100 grand a year, you know, the the all in sales process broken out within those tiers is going to be somewhere between kind of the five and 50 grand a year, um, kind of
0: proportionally. So we basically look to get paid back twice in the first year of a customer's life cycle. Got it. So, yeah, your break even is ideally six months. Ideally. Yeah. And it kind of falls between six and 12 in reality. Yep. 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 Okay, cool. And what about things like churn? So you guys have been around a while now. Are people staying with you 12 months on average, 24, 48? Yeah. Uh, so we typically see customers stick around for multiple years. Um, if you
1: extrapolate out our, our churn rate, the predicted lifespan of a customer is somewhere in the three to four year range. Um, and that is, uh, The the biggest source of return for us, honestly, is because we sell in a lot of cases to small to mid-sized businesses and mid-market companies, Um, there's a lot of cases where companies just cease to exist. Um, and there's a we, we call that structural churn. Um, it's just a component of the piece of the market that we've decided to go after um, tends to have, you know, a, a bucket of,
0: of losses happen because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's probably the biggest driver of why we lose people. Got it. OK. And then last question before we wrap up, let's go like back in, in history a bit just so people can appreciate the success you've had. Are you comfortable sharing 2014 total revenue or if you want to go back a year even before that?
1: Uh, sorry. I, uh, I cannot share that. I will say we've been around for a while. So I started this company in 08. Oh, we, wow. Okay. Uh, we started, um, Oh, you
0: left when you left, you went straight into this out of Insight venture partners. Yeah. So my co-founder and I quit insight on a Monday and on
1: Tuesday, Lehman brothers collapsed. Uh, so we basically were working out of my attic for the first four, almost five years of running this business. Got it. Um, and we progressed, we built the business up profitably year after year after year in that time frame. So we basically went over the course of about four years we went from zero dollars to one million dollars in revenue it was a slow long grind uh, to get there but we were operating with a million bucks in revenue with only eight employees or so and kicking off cash profitably so, uh, was, it was so it's fair
0: to say if you said you do that for, for over four years that's say so 2012 you did a million that year with eight employees yeah uh, that's about right yeah okay cool cool yeah i just I, it's good to get something like that so people aren't left totally clueless and they'll appreciate your story more so i appreciate you sharing that no, okay. My pleasure. All right, Robert. Hey, if people want to follow your journey personally online, where can they connect with you?
1: Uh, at Robert J Moore, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, you can always go check sure. out and kick the tires on RJ Metrics by going to RJMetrics.com. If you have data, uh, we can probably teach you something, and we have a free trial, so there's zero risk. And those
0: are those are the right places to spot us. Okay, Top Tribe, do not forget your chance to win a hundred bucks right here on the podcast every Monday. It's very simple. You just subscribe to the show on iTunes. And then once you've done that, text me to prove that you've done it. My number is 703-431-2709. Subscribe now and text me to enter. 703-431-2709. I love. So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan, you can sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45-day money-back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. How many new free trials do you get per day? Ooh,
1: cool. uh... I... Per day, we tend to kick off, it's a handful. It's not like hundreds, uh, because there is an implementation process, um, but we try to get about 20 companies having their data connected on a per week basis. Uh, and those convert into trials at a, at a pretty high percentage. Per so week, it's a few a day. So
0: 20 per week? Okay, yeah. cool. All right, um, great. So hey, we're about to get uh, wrap up the show. Robert, you know what time it is? Uh, tell me. <laughs> Come on, dude, it's time for the Famous Five. You ready? Oh yeah, let's All rock. Right. Number one, favorite business book? Oh, I just read a book called Winner's Dream by Bill
1: McDermott, who's the CEO of SAP. Um, I absolutely enjoyed that so much because it is not the typical startup story. Um, This is a guy who just hustled for 30 years and worked his way from selling printers off his back in New York City uh, all the way up to the top of the CEO seat at SAP. And it is the story of of a hustle. uh, And that. That was something i respect
0: i love that okay guys we'll link to that in the show notes at NathanLatka.com forward slash the top 233 again forward slash the top 233 robert question number two is there a ceo that you're following or studying right now oh um yeah i definitely i like to keep a close eye on
1: ceos that have had multiple wins so here in the, we're based in philadelphia here in the philly tech community there are a few folks that i have a ton of respect for and i've learned a lot from. Uh, Bob Maul is a guy who, uh, was the CEO over at a company called Boomi, which he sold to Dell, um, a few years back then started another startup and that startup, uh, didn't survive. And now he's running, uh, kind of his third at bat. And I love when people have the perspective of a win and a loss and are swinging the bat again and can kind of guide you through all the ups and downs. Uh, so
0: yeah, keep an eye on a company called Cloudimize, which is now being run by Bob Mao. Very cool. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have like Evernote? Uh, I love Slack. Uh, I live
1: inside of Slack. Our company runs on Slack. It's amazing how much it's really taken over our entire communication
0: uh, systems in the last couple of years. Number four. Robert, what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids?
1: I just got married. Uh, Congrats. Uh, thank you. About six weeks ago uh, here, here in Philly. I have a lovely wife. Uh, her name is Allison, and uh, I am the luckiest man in the world. And
0: how old are you? I am 32. Okay, so here's the question. As you're building this empire, okay, you just got married, yes or no, are you getting eight hours of sleep every night? I do not get eight hours of sleep a night. (laughs) What do you get, like
1: six, five? Yeah, it's usually, what'll usually happen is it like degrades during the week. So I have the best intentions on, you know, on Sunday night, Sunday to Monday, I'll usually get eight and then it'll go like eight, five, five, four, eight,
0: something like that. Uh, So it it just,
1: uh The week gets over
0: me. It makes good sense. Last question. Take us back 12 years, Robert. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Yeah, really, just like everything's going to be okay.
1: Um, I was relatively risk-seeking in my career, but uh, fear is uh, a thing that is always on people's minds, and I think that the more uh, that I have acted without fear, the better the results have been. And, you know, I've gone through periods where I have had rough uh, chapters in my personal life. I've gone through periods where I've had to lay people off and fire people. I've gone through periods, uh, you know, all the down things that as a 20 year old, you might be terrified that you might experience one day. I've kind of gone through those and, Come out the other side, uh, guns blazing, and now that I know that there is another side on those things, I care much less, and I'm willing to be much more aggressive in in my actions. And I think it makes me a better business person. Um, so. Just, uh, just go for it is my advice. Just
0: go for it. Top tribe. There you have it. Right from Robert, starting off in 2004 and 2006 with a poker company that did a hundred grand, jumping into the VC world, leading a big round in a successful football company of sorts, launching RJ, hustling from his attic for over five years, reaching a million dollars of revenue in 2012 with eight employees, now doing at least 400k per month or about 4.8 million per year, probably much more than that. Robert, thanks for your transparency and thank you for taking us to the. This- Top. thanks Nathan it's great to great to be a guest if you guys enjoyed Robert today go back and listen to yesterday's episode with Ryan Pa. he landed the Forbes partnership for YEC where they already have thousands of monthly paying members top tribe I love giving away free money I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today